Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, as it's May 14th, 2019, Tuesday night, as we are streaming the show live on Mixler.com slash Sox Machine as the Chicago White Sox just wrapped up. A mini two-game series at home against the Cleveland Indians. Uh, as Jim wrote about earlier in this week about the weird schedule, this was the first time uh, the White Sox and Indians have played in Chicago this year. And with the White Sox winning on Monday 5-2 to two, thanks to four home runs and then losing today in a very ugly manner uh, as the White Sox offense continues to struggle against Carlos Carrasco and now Manny Benuelos, not did he he only he did struggle on the mound, but not only did he struggle on the mound, it sounds like he might be hurt as it's being reported that he has a shoulder strain. Just not a good day overall for the White Sox. But hey, they split the two games against the Indians, eight games against Cleveland in 2019. They are four and four. That is progress. However, the biggest news in the last 48 hours for the White Sox, again, has been injuries. This time, confirmation that Carlos Rodon needs Tommy John surgery. Nate Jones has a torn muscle in his forearm. And Mike Rodolfo needs arthroscopic surgery on his elbow that he just had Tommy John surgery on last year. What's the long-term impact? Does this spell the end? Not just for Carlos Rodon but also Nate Jones and maybe Mike Rodolfo's plans in the White Sox rebuild? Well, joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. You wrote today on SoxMachine.com about the White Sox lack of success with players coming off Tommy John surgery. Now knowing that Carlos Rodon is having the surgery, 
Does the team's most recent issues with the recovery from Tommy John solidify the notion that maybe for whites, the White Sox and maybe White Sox fans, that it's time to move on from Carlos Rodon in hopes of being part of this rebuild turned to contender? Yeah, I think with Rodon, my stance ever since the White Sox tore it down and Rodon looked like this guy who is never going to be quite a number one starter but showed flashes of it and might frustrate fans both with his performance and his availability, it seemed like the best possible outcome or at least the the only real way to proceed was just, just to let Rodon go to the end of his team control period. And I don't think this changes anything. It's not like he's going to be making a ton of money because he just keeps missing so much time. He's not going to really make a lot of money in arbitration. Uh, The White Sox, as we've seen now, as they really don't have a firm idea for a fifth starter with Banuelos out, they don't really have arms. They just need options for starting. So I think, you know, by the time Rodon is available, whether it's in the second half of 2020 or even 2021, uh, you know, they could probably use somebody like him just to round out a roster or round out a sixth starter spot or whatever. So I think he'll still be around, but I just think he'll be, I think it does firm up the idea that they're going to need five other starters and um, whatever he can give you after the surgery is basically gravy. I think the hope was that if the White Sox can become a contender a year sooner than planned, right? I think when the White Sox tore it down that if this team was a winning team in 2020, that Carlos Rodon could help lead a rotation for a couple of those quote-unquote good seasons that the White Sox are winning. And then, yeah, he would have went on his way being a Scott Boris client, heading to free agency, sign a nine-figure deal with another team, and he goes his way and and the White Sox go their way. Um, But I don't know, man, with the shoulder injury that he had to recover from and now Tommy John, and now he is missing significant time in 2020. We'll see if he's ready to go in June. Everybody recovers from this surgery in different manners. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in this episode as, as Jim went to great depth and detail as far as some of the players that have had the surgery and recovering from it. Uh, I, I said this when we talked about when we heard the, the news the first time, Jim, this is still a bit bittersweet that the White Sox third overall pick, someone that we got really excited for. And we, we had big dreams that maybe he and Chris Sale and Jose Katana one day could help the White Sox in a five game series in the divisional round of the postseason. And, uh, you know, that story ends with Sale being traded, Katana being traded, and Rodon suffering major injuries. And I do wonder on how this is going to impact the rest of his career. Last time we talked about this, I mentioned Brett Anderson. Do you still see that comp for Carlos Rodon? Just because he's left-handed, that sounds about right. Um, but yeah, since his shoulder surgery, that that's really what, I guess severely diminished any kind of expectations I had for him going forward just because shoulders, you know, every time you open them on right. up, even if it is for something minor and not, not like repairing a labrum or a rotator cuff, but you know, this avoided the worst of it. But anytime you open it up, it seems like pitchers lose something. They have a hard time getting it all the way back and whatever they can give you afterwards is kind of a bonus. And I think that's really what I saw with Rodon here is like, Oh, he's, he's a, he's definitely somebody who can start in the major leagues and, uh, occasionally have some great games, but also not quite have 
um, uh, an approach that is really uh, sustainable when it comes to pitching six, seven, eight inning, uh, not eight, but six and seven innings regularly. Um, so th- that's what I saw from him. And, and now I think, yeah, it does, uh, you know, with Tommy John surgery and, and, and with his other injuries and his tendency just to end up on the injured list, it's just, uh, yeah, it's, I would call it more bitter than sweet, I guess, the way it's uh, all unfolded and, and Chris Sale striking out 17 tonight. That's, that's kind of a neat uh, little kick. Uh, Sale, yeah, uh, struck out 17 Rockies over seven innings. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, you know, Sale's, Sale's a, a, you know, he's a strange dude. Um, but one thing you can say about him is with his shoulder, you know, with his own shoulder injuries and with the way he had managed himself, uh, or I guess the way that he had to kind of occasionally go out the injured list or he had to gear down. He seems like somebody who knows his body really well, uh, and, and doesn't really seem to fight the trainers. It also doesn't seem to make more of his down periods than the media wants him to. Um, it, it's a it's a credit that every time it looks like he's gonna miss some serious time, he bounces back and I think he struck out fourteen the time before. So yeah, he's he's on a roll now. But yeah, it's uh it's it's definitely a a loss for the White Sox in terms of the big picture and what they thought. But yeah, I, I guess I'm more worried and and you hinted about this about the next row of Tommy John surgeries or the guys who are going to be coming back from Tommy John surgery before Rodon does. Yeah, so that's Carlos Rodon. Uh, let's touch on Nate Jones. And you wrote about Nate Jones uh, quite a bit as far as in your column as examples of pitchers that just never end up getting healthy after suffering a major injury. And here we go again, Jim. The the forearm this time, uh, I think it's the flexor in his forearm. Yes. Uh, has a tear. He needs season-ending surgery. Uh, Jim, I think he's done. Not only with the White Sox, but maybe for his career. And some people will say, wow, that's a really bold prediction. But he's gone through so much over the last five years with numerous injuries. I just worry that even though he may have electric stuff and he may still be able to throw 97 and have that slider, uh, he can't hold up anymore. So that's my opinion on Nate Jones. Do you think this is the end of the road for Jones, at least with the White Sox? Oh, uh, I think so. Um, you know, maybe he comes back on a minor league deal, but it's probably best for the White Sox to move on, and it might be better for Jones to move on just to see if another team wants to, you know, uh, put their hands on him and see if they can somehow uh, get him to avoid this series of arm injuries, get him out of this rut. Uh, but given his mechanics and just the way that it always looked high effort, you know, he's the one guy I guess he could look at and you know from a couch and say like that doesn't look comfortable <laughs> and you know as we know from injuries and guys who get hurt and guys who don't you know speaking of sale guys who avoid the major injuries that uh you know sometimes that only goes so far but yeah jones just having the series of it i wasn't really all that enthused about the white Sox picking up the the team option on him this this past time around just because of all the injuries and his tendency to miss time and uh the number of guys who they could you know give those games and innings too but uh, as we saw with the number of uh, chairs they've already moved in the bullpen that it didn't really get in the way but now I think with Jones having diminished velocity on top of the missed time you know even before he got hurt he he was throwing 94 instead of 98 uh it, it seems like the end of the road and and I guess from here it just depends how much Jones wants it and how much he wants to try continuing I think it was probably mutually beneficial for the White Sox and Jones to agree on that uh, contract extension he signed. You know, he didn't have any kind of major payday that 
some of his better years suggested he could get, but I, I probably, you know, given that he was an older rookie and uh, the injuries that he had, probably it seems like uh, everybody understood the risks just fine, and he came away with some money. The White Sox uh, got a couple good years out of him, but, you know, ultimately not as much as they would have hoped, but I think, you know, it's probably the median outcome in terms of that contract working out for both sides or not working out for both sides. Now, because of the issues that the White Sox have had, with pitchers often not being the same or continue to be oft injured, do you have concerns with the news that was just shared about Rodon and Jones for Michael Kopech and Dane Dunning moving forward? Uh, yeah, I guess my concern, I think, stems more from Zach Birdie than it does from you know Jones okay. or Rodon, just because with Birdie, uh, there really hasn't yet been an honest reckoning from the front office on what kind of shape he's really in. Uh, I think they skirted the issue uh, last year. You know, he was very slow to come back into regular action, uh, you know, with, with the Arizona Rookie League. And then he went to Arizona Fall League and didn't really perform there, left with fatigue. And uh, the White Sox talked around the radar gun and they tried to, uh, I guess, get people uh, away from talking about how good his fastball was and just trying to get him more into the regular workload. But you know, this fastball really hasn't rebounded. It's about 93 to 96 the last I saw a couple games ago uh, when he was on MILB TV and there were some radar gun readings to be seen once in a while. Um, you know, his results at Birmingham aren't really that great. Uh, and it just seems like, you know, the White Sox haven't had that honest conversation, whether it's with the fans or with the media about exactly what they expect from Birdie going forward. Maybe they still think that he can get it back and uh, you know there's some kind of specific plan, but I, I kind of smelled that something was awry, I guess, when he wasn't back on that traditional 12 to 15th month month uh, timeline, and now it's 22 months. He still doesn't have his good fastball. He's not pitching on back-to-back days. It doesn't seem like anything is free and easy and, and, and uh, I guess unhindered uh, the way you might expect at this point. So, you know, that's what makes me skeptical about, uh, you know, Michael Kopech getting his prime fastball back and, and, you know, maybe Dane Dunning to a lesser extent since he didn't really need that, uh, you know, Dane, Dunning didn't throw, uh, you know, 99, hundred, he threw 96 once in a while, but he was more of a low to mid nineties guy. So maybe I'm not that concerned with him, but with Kopech, uh, I'd like to know exactly what happened with birdie or what they think happened with birdie or, uh, you know, if there's anything from that that can instruct how to apply that to a pitcher with prime velocity like Kopech has. Yeah, because Kopech needs that velocity. Yeah, at least right now. Um, you know, maybe at some point, like he can be like a, a Justin Verlander who, you know, while dominating with the big fastball, eventually figures out how to uh, shape all his other pitches to where when he doesn't have his best fastball, he can still succeed and, and age well, um, you know, as he, as his, his best heat declines. But yeah, I think for his early success, like we saw with Rodon, that, uh, you know, his major stuff will go a long way in, in, in helping him get his footing in the majors. And then hopefully the rest of the polish will come along. Now that's the pitchers. Uh, there was a position player that also got bad news using MLB pipelines, top 30, the White Sox have now lost for the season their number two prospect in Michael Kopech, their number six prospect, Dane Dunning, and now their number nine prospect, Mike Adolfo. And Jim, I'm very concerned about Adolfo needing arthroscopic surgery on the elbow that already went through Tommy John is problematic because part of 
Adolfo's great value was his plus plus arm. There's a lot of scouts that were really impressed with his arm strength and definitely thought this is someone that could play right field. Now I wonder how fragile that arm is, having multiple surgeries on the same arm and now missing lots of opportunities to get at bats and to play in professional games. I don't even remember the last time he was able to actually field a position. Did he do that at all in 2018 or was Uh, he strictly a DH? No, uh, he was strictly a DH. He had uh, Tommy John surgery when they tried to ramp up his throwing program in order to get him back on the field. They kind of did a... uh, um, you know, crapper get off the pot when it came to his throwing arm and it didn't work. And so then he went underwent the surgery. Okay. So when he comes back in 2020, cause they're hopeful that he'll be ready for spring training 2020. The last time that Mike Rodolfo played in the field in a game, not during spring training would be 2017. That's a long, long, long time. And this is someone that or has already been dealing with injuries ever since he's joined the Chicago White Sox system. You can look it up. Mike Rodolfo was in the White Sox top 10 prospects back in 2014 when he signed on as a 16-year-old. And like I mentioned, with that arm being fragile and the injury history, is Mike Rodolfo still on the rebuild roadmap even though he is going to be granted an additional option year? Uh, I would say no at this point. I mean, like I would say he's part of the depth that might be interesting and could resurface, but I think he's fallen off the front lines and is more a background character at this point. I guess my concern with Adolfo is that, you know, he didn't, his arm didn't flare up after playing the field for a while. Like it, it just uh, didn't respond well to the surgery. And I guess, you know, going back to Kopech and Dunning and Birdie and so forth, I guess, Adolfo would concern me more than Jones and Rodon just because, you know, Jones previously had surgeries before and is on the other side of 30 and Rodon, you know, he's had some issues himself too. But with, you know, with with Adolfo having the ulnar uh, nerve reposition, I'm not sure if he'll have that. Uh, Han introduced that as a possibility. Uh, That's what Jones had when he didn't respond well to his Tommy John surgery. And and the fact that, you know, Jones had a a healthy season in between the arm surgeries. He threw 70 innings. He was back to his old self. So, you know, maybe the Tommy John surgery is fine, but, you know, Adolfo couldn't even get back on the field even for a little bit uh, before having his elbow open up again. So yeah, that's, that's concerning to me. And, uh, it sucks for him. I, I feel for him just because he came such a long way from what he was when he first showed up at the White Sox at 16, uh, really having no idea how to play the game. Just a, 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 a big hulking right fielder with a lot of physical tools and no real way to shape him. He has really made strides. You know, even with the uh, elbow injury limiting him to DH, he really made strides with Winston-Salem and really put him on the precipice of being interesting and then just the tommy john surgery knocks him out costs him half a season now he loses uh two-thirds of a season uh with birmingham on top of this time he missed uh, with the ankle injury when he was first getting started and yeah it's just a lot of reps to make up and and you can't count on him being uh yeah i guess maybe my best case scenario for adolfo is maybe like somebody like jose martinez uh martinez was originally a white Sox international signing he missed some time, had a hard time staying healthy. Eventually surfaced, I'll have to look this up uh, you know, once I stop talking, but uh, he surfaced, I think, in his late 20s, with Saint, uh, first with the Royals. He was interesting in their high minors. And then with the Cardinals, I think around you know, late 20s, 
maybe age 30. And he's had a few good years as a hitter, as a first baseman slash terrible right fielder. And maybe that's the kind of future for Adolfo where these injuries get in the way, but maybe since he was still improving uh, and still has, uh, you know, still can sharpen his approach at the plate and his, uh, you know, pitch recognition and everything like that. Maybe there's still a, a development curve for him that's really long, but ultimately uh, fruitful. But I think, uh, yeah, you just have to take him off the, uh, I guess, you know, off the front lines, off any kind of future lineups and keep your fingers crossed for the person, you know, more than the player, that the person is able to actually get his career back and maybe then that ends up working out for both the player and team that he's part of this White Sox rebuild again. Yeah, the beginning of the year, we were hopeful to see productive seasons from Luis Wasabe and Mike Rodolfo because then you can kind of piece together an outfield or maybe one of those two can be a headliner in a trade. But with Wasabe missing significant time with the broken hammock bone and now Adolfo missing the rest of the year with arthroscopic surgery, ah, man, not only does it hurt on the prospect front, Jim, um, but it also hurts as far as trade value or trade pieces that Rick Hahn can use. Now, speaking of Rick Hahn, Hahn spoke with the media on Monday as he delivered the bad news and in his unique way is acknowledging that the team does need to find outside solutions in the future to help with the pitching. And since Hahn has taken over as the general manager, the White Sox have not been afraid to spend cash on relief pitching. We saw this past offseason where the biggest free agent signing was Kelvin Herrera. When they signed David Robertson at the time, that was the largest free free agent deal for a reliever. And obviously things have changed. Uh, but, you know, they were willing to commit four years, $46 million to David Robertson. So when it comes to relievers, they don't mind spending some money. And they don't mind committing to multiple years. But starting pitching has been a different story. Many one-year deals, trades acquiring pitchers on expiring deals lasting maybe a year or two. Uh, so starting pitching has been a different direction in approach for the White Sox and adding than it has been on the reliever front, which has been interesting. Jim, there's a lot of things I still think Rick Hahn needs to change for his approach. But let's say after everything that's happened in the first 25% of the season and what happened in the offseason... Does Rick Hahn need to change his approach on finding outside help with starting pitching? Or can they get by going year to year and waiting to see which of these pitching prospects can recover and still provide great value? Uh, I, I would say that there is definitely room for at least one big acquisition. Um, yeah, I, I think the uh, Astros are maybe the I, I guess peak idea of that uh, you know rotation where they cobbled together rotation some homegrown prospects some guys they've dusted off and turned into working pitchers like Charlie Morton and then uh, yeah McCullers uh, fits that first profile and you have Charlie Morton but uh, Dallas Keuchel is there but then when they wanted one they needed one horse to kind of uh, push him over the top they got Verlander and Verlander's fit great there he signed an extension and uh, everything's been great and I think uh, the Astros being a a very progressive team and at the forefront of a lot of, you know, value, uh, reading the reading Astro ball. I think when you look at the front office, they might not like the idea of handing that much money to a veteran pitcher, you know, a guy who might be in his decline phase, but they also realize that, uh, you know, there is, you know, something Keiko was criticizing the, uh, the Astros for not, uh, 
you know, ponying up and, and, and not doing anything to the deadline. And he kind of took that to heart and, and realized that, you know, I had to go outside our comfort level to get a guy who we think will be a difference maker and will take stress off the rest of the rotation. And the White Sox might be looking at that now. And uh, they, I think they've proven that they don't really have the touch when it comes to, um, you know, these, these lottery tickets and reclamation projects. They haven't really had anything stick there. So it does seem like they're going to have to actually pay for quality if they want something that that uh, that can count. And to uh, tie up a loose end with Jose Martinez, I looked him up, and uh, he, he stuck in the majors at the age of 28. He broke in with the White Sox, uh, Dominican Summer League, his first season at the age of 17. So it took him about eight years, uh, nine years of uh, wow. a pro ball to actually get in the majors and stick, you know, after a really long development curve with injuries and uh, stagnation and, and, and long things along those lines. Wow. That is a long time. That is a long time. But with the direction as far as with pitching, I mean, there is also Jerry Reinsdorf that Rick Hahn is going to need to convince, right, Jim? I mean, after what transpired with the John Danks deal, will, I don't know, could you see Jerry Reinsdorf approving a five-plus-year deal to get one of these starting pitchers? Uh, <laughs> no, um, I, I think when it comes to you know the benefit of the doubt, uh, the White Sox lost it when it came to the pursuit. Of course, right. And, and uh, you know, when it comes to how short they came up on Manny Machado, I do blame Jerry Reinsdorf more than Rick Hahn for the dollar value that they presented and tried to pass off as a superior offer. I do blame Hahn for maybe not realizing. Uh, and, and Han and Kenny Williams not realizing like how little Reinsdorf was actually willing to spend and, and, and putting all that eggs in that basket that uh, just uh, uh, yeah, disintegrated on them. So, you know, I think the blame goes around, but I think in this case, yeah, maybe Garrett Cole, you know, if he's available that uh, I don't see the White Sox poning up for them. Maybe more like a, well, and, and this isn't a good uh, guy to point to, but like a Nate Eovaldi, like a four year, contract for uh you know 15 million or whatever that might be something more that han can negotiate um you know uh, without needing reinsdorf to have final say or do exclusive negotiating owner to agent um you know that might be something that is more in their in their wheelhouse or comfort level or whatever reinsdorf wants to do but yeah big ticket uh, <laughs> uh starting pitcher acquisition i don't see happening they're gonna have to get creative i mean this upcoming offseason with all of the signings that we saw in the final weeks of spring training, the market is really not that deep. And I think because of the White Sox, uh, if you want to trade for someone that's worth a damn, it's going to come with a heavy prospect cost. And that's why the Adolfo injury hurts, just because yeah. that and the Basabe uh, injury and you know, all, all the stuff that's wiping out their depth is that you have fewer guys to trade. You, you know, it's When you look at the, the, the depth of the rebuilding, you can say, well, there's still a... a a functioning above average lineup to be had from the guys in house. It's like, yeah, it's possible, but you know, if a few more of those guys don't pan out or come up short and need to, you know, uh, supplement them with outside acquisitions, then the, the pile to trade from is very small and you have to get that really right in order to cash in on it. Otherwise it's kind of like they were in, uh, you know, after the World Series to where they were good but not great and could make some big deals but not others because they were just short on guys that could deal. Yeah, and look at Charlotte right now. Lots of hitting, terrible pitching, terrible pitching right now. 
So they can't even move some of their younger pitchers in exchange for established starters. It's just, it's this perfect storm right now that's just brewing with the White Sox pitching at the moment that is going to be, that's going to leave a huge mess and that Rick Hahn is going to have to sort out sometime through this year, but most definitely during the offseason. That's what's going to dominate the conversations uh, when we talk about the 2020 White Sox and how the White Sox approach building that team is pitching, 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 pitching. And Ross Detweiler. Ross Detweiler. Ten strikeouts tonight, right? Down in yeah. Charlotte? Yeah, with uh, Manny Ban Wales having a sore shoulder. Yeah, that was one of the questions we got about, you know, who's going to replace him. And Come on down. Yeah, could very well be. I think there are going to be a few. I know you pitched uh, Dylan Cease on Twitter. Uh, I, I would stay away from that just until he actually gets – a, you know, a few games in a row to where he, uh, the weather allows him to pitch, you know, a full game. Um, but yeah, I think guys like Detweiler and even, I think it was, uh, Noah, uh, Sox machine supporter on Patreon who suggested like Kyle Kubat, uh, who is on a roll right now in Birmingham. I don't know if his stuff like, you know, a 90 mile per hour tossing lefty, like, I don't know if that's his stuff is going to translate from Birmingham to, Chicago, but I can see, you know, given that Kubat's on the older side, 26 years old, I can see the White Sox going for anybody successful whose development isn't crucial to the rebuild, just trying to get them into the majors and, 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 uh, and, and, you know, I guess counting down the days, counting down the rotation turns. I think Detweiler could be the first in that, in that kind of line of human fodder, but if he doesn't pan out, then as absurd as it seems, a guy like Kubat, who is on the older side and uh, is performing, might actually be in play. It's going to be frustrating, though. If you're a White Sox fan that's enjoyed the winning that has been happening the last couple of weeks, uh, the next 40-some games could be frustrating because you are enjoying watching Lucas Giolito and you're hopeful for Ronaldo Lopez and Ivan Nova's been pitching a lot better. And then you have the next two spots where the White Sox could just be throwing pitchers against the wall and see who sticks. And I get it. It's going to be very frustrating. There are going to be a lot more days where the White Sox are losing nine to nothing like they did today uh, in the near future. That's why I just got to ride the wave when they surprise you and they win games like on Monday, five to two, and Yohan Makata has a couple of home runs and you feel a lot better about the rebuild. I guess ignore the nine to nothing losses more and don't get too upset about them because uh, those types of losses are not over and they may be coming soon as the White Sox deal with their issues on the pitching front. Now we're ride the snake, ride, ride the, the snake, ride the snake. Uh, we're going to talk about the White Sox weekend series coming up here as the Blue Jays come into town. But before we do that, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. With millions of live events and a price match guarantee, SeatGeek proves there's a better way to buying tickets. Search sports, live music, comedy, and more. SeatGeek has the tickets you are looking for all in one place. In an industry that tends to stagnate, SeatGeek decided to stand out from the crowd. They built the fastest way to find tickets so you can stop searching for the perfect seat and start enjoying the seat. Why is SeatGeek better than the rest? Well, a quick look at the App Store shows they have over 50,000 five-star reviews. How's that for customer satisfaction? And it's a better process. SeatGeek pulls together millions of tickets from all over the web. They rate each deal on a scale of 1 to 10. And SeatGeek displays them on an interactive seat map, and you can see what the view looks like, especially if you're visiting new stadiums. 
And SeatGeek breaks down the details. Green dots mean good deals to red dots. Those tickets are overpriced. Stay away from them. And every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets with confidence. And I use SeatGeek all the time. I bought eight tickets this upcoming weekend for the Saturday game as I'm picking up my Carlos Rodon bobblehead. Uh, on Saturday, a little continuing the bittersweetness uh, of this show. But yeah, finding great deals on SeatGeek, even if it's a big group that you're going with, uh, is perfect. Whether you're buying tickets just for one person or like me for a group of eight. And best of all, Socks Machine listeners, you guys get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do is just use our promo code. So download the SeatGeek app, use promo code Socks Machine for $10 off on your first purchase. That's promo code Socks Machine for $10 off on SeatGeek. And like I said, the Toronto Blue Jays now come into town and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I saw on Twitter has finally hit his first home run in his career. So congratulations to the young slugger. Good that he got that. Uh, against a non-White Sox team. Uh, But with the White Sox having the day off on Wednesday, this series will start on Thursday as the White Sox won two out of three north of the border this past weekend. On Thursday at 7.10 p.m. Central Time, the Blue Jays don't know who will be starting for them quite yet. They have some questions going on with their starting rotation too. But it'll be Dylan Covey for the White Sox to lead off the series. Friday, 7.10 p.m. Central Time, it is Daniel Hudson against Yvonne Nova. Saturday, 1.10 p.m. Central Time. It is to be determined against Lucas Giolito. And Ronaldo Lopez will end it for the White Sox on Sunday at 1.10 p.m. Central Time. So this is round two against the Blue Jays, Jim. And I think they have a good chance here. I'm feeling a bit frisky with this guess. I think they have a good chance of winning this series. Winning three out of four uh, right before Hell Week starts next week. I think a key start, though, is going to be Dylan Covey. Can he make it five innings? Because the bullpen had to carry a big load on Tuesday. What are you looking forward to in this series? Well, you're talking about, uh, you know, in the last segment about, uh, you know, how it's frustrating to watch Covey and Banuelos. I think my frustration would, I guess, crest if they don't try, like, something creative with those two spots, like the opener. Um, you know, Daniel Hudson starting uh, for the Blue Jays on Friday, they did a full bullpen game and uh, they fared well with it. And it seems like with Kofi, you know, his problems last time giving up a three run homer in the first inning and, you know, his problems facing the the heart of the order for a third time. It seems like, you know, and I, I've, I've pounded on this a couple times, but it seems like he would be the kind of guy you'd want to have an opener for because you'd uh, he'd minimize the amount of times he has to face the best hitters. Uh, you can... Uh, stack the line of like start somebody like Josh Ochitz or Osich or something like that ahead of him to uh, create some handedness confusion and uh, you know see if you can get his four and two thirds innings or whatever you know try to get that into the sixth inning rather than have him do it all himself so um, you know should he come up short again you know sh- yeah and in short like in his his usual way where he fares okay but just can't you know, close out five. Um, it would seem like he's begging for somebody to take that first inning load off him and the White Sox just won't do it. So that's, uh, I guess what's, uh, uh, what'll irritate me, you know, as this uncertainty with the last two spots goes forward. But no, I, I feel pretty good about the Sox. You know, I'm kind of look great. So, and I think Rick Renteria is fine to give him two off days in a row, given how many 
they've uh, played and and the turf and everything like that. So he's he's been performing well, and it's worth you know giving him a couple days. But I like the lineup. Yeah, everybody's hitting pretty well. I think by and large, especially if they get Eloy Jimenez back at some point during the series. Um, you know, it could be uh, you know a lot of runs scored, but yeah, it'll just be the the pitching, and they have one more series to you know I guess face a substandard offense before uh, we'll actually find out what these guys are made of. Yeah, again, next week, four games against the Astros, three games against the Twins, all on the road. And like I said, it is hell week next week. So let's see if the White Sox, they win three out of four. They'll be 21 and 22 before that nasty stretch next week. And uh, I think that would be a good feeling for them. If they split the series, uh, okay. If they lose this series, uh, that'll be a bit eyebrow raising because uh, not, not, not a good position to be in before you have that tough stretch of seven games where things can really start getting ugly as far as record wise. But again, we'll be recapping this series on Monday Sox Machine podcast. Also joining us on Monday is one of our best friends of the show, Jim Callis of MLBPipeline.com. We'll be swinging by. He'll be talking about the White Sox top 30 prospects, the new top 100 prospects as well. And Luis Robert got a huge jump in that list, but we're also going to be talking about the major league baseball draft. So if you guys help support us on patreon.com slash socks machine, you know that you get an opportunity to ask questions for our guests and you only get that edition. The Patreon version of the show will have those answers. So if you support us, go to patreon.com slash socks machine. You guys can start submitting questions to Jim Callis. If you don't, you can go to patreon.com slash socks machine to sign up and start supporting us and get that opportunity to ask Jim Callis some questions for Monday's episode. And that will do it for this edition of Socks Machine Live. Thank you guys so much for tuning in on Mixler.com slash Socks Machine. If you never get an opportunity to listen to the live stream, no worries. Every episode is uploaded into the podcast feed that you can listen to later on. And if you just discovered the Socks Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show via iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and audioboom.com slash Socks Machine. Socks Machine Live is a production of SocksMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.